0: you're listening to TIP. Welcome to The Good Life. I'm your host, Sean Murray. Today's guest is Nate Bailey. He's a former leader in the army and a successful real estate investor and the author of the book, The 100 Mile Mindset, where he recounts his attempts and eventual success at running 100 miles. To finish that distance, he had to develop a mindset of resilience and to dig deep. And in this episode, he shares what he's learned about that mindset and how it can help us in investing and in life. He also talks about what he calls championship leadership and how we can cultivate that in ourselves. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nate as much as I did. My friends, I bring you Nate Bailey. You're listening to The Good Life by The Investor's Podcast Network, where we explore the ideas, principles, and values that help you live a meaningful, purposeful life. Join your host, Sean Murray, on a journey for the life well lived. Nate Bailey, welcome to The Good Life.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Nate, you are an executive coach, you consult to organizations, and you also work with athletes and other professionals. And you've written a book called The 100 Mile Mindset, and I thought we'd start with that. Can you talk a little bit about The 100 Mile Mindset and what that is?
1: The 100 Mile Mindset book really came from me actually running 100 miles, and it wasn't on the first attempt. It was took me three attempts. It was quite the experience and the journey and the people that I met. And there's absolutely a mindset throughout that entire process that I developed and strengthened along the way of, like I said, I didn't finish in the first time. I failed twice in my pursuit of, of seeing if I could run 100 miles and learned so many different lessons along the way that I'm now able to take from that experience, from running 100 miles to help me be a better coach, better podcaster, a better husband and father, a better person in life, leader. Twenty twenties again, is a great example of just when you think life is going great and things are going to stay that way f- forever and, and you're kind of done getting through those pitfalls. And 2020 slapped us pretty hard and said, hey, uh, hold up a second like, and changed in an instant. And so those that have a 100-mile mindset are going to be able to navigate those times and those waters much more efficiently, effectively, and come out on top through those times, right? And those times are pretty much, they're guaranteed to happen. And I think the moment we can know that and realize it, and then you can plan for it and just expect it, you can expect 2020 to happen. And when it does, you can be ready for it. Doesn't mean that you're excited about it, that it happened, but you're equipped to be able to get through it. And so, yeah, the 100-mile mindset was me just taking those experiences and putting them into the book and hoping that that someone will read it and it will help them inside of their life.
0: I love this concept of the 100-mile mindset. And I think you're absolutely right. There's going to be events in our lives that are going to throw up huge challenges. It's going to feel like the 100-mile, 24-hour run. Or if we're ready for them, we're going to be that much better prepared. Talk a little bit about the first few times, I don't know how many times you tried before you completed, but what was it that sort of prevented you from achieving the 100 miles at first? And then what got you there eventually?
1: Just a little bit of a timeline. So I decided in March, 2018, I was like, all right, I wonder if I can run hundred miles. So I signed up for a race like three months away, right? <laughs> so I didn't give myself a lot of time to prepare. And I wasn't coming from a background of like putting in lots of miles a week. Now I was kind of coming off the couch. I was taking care of myself. I was working out, but I was not running consistently. And I had technically ran a marathon in 2008 as part of an Ironman, but I wouldn't call what I did to finish that Ironman running. So the first one was the Kettle 100 or the Kettle Moraine 100 in Wisconsin. And that was in June of 2018. And the biggest thing that kept me from finishing that was lack of preparation, really. Again, I'd only given myself three months. So there's only so much preparation I can do. And I was, yeah, I was preparing. I was running, but I just hadn't had enough time to really prepare like I needed to. And then there was a piece of the lack of preparation and just, you know, details matter. And, and that, and, and cause I missed a cutoff is how I got kicked off the course in that first experience. I made it 100 K, which is about 62 miles. We needed to get to that checkpoint by 18 hours and I got there at like 1810. We didn't realize that we missed the cutoff. So. Took a little bit of time, changed some clothes. It just rained and uh, about 18 hours and 30 minutes. So I was there for about 20 minutes. We took off. We attempted to take off and keep going, right? was feeling okay, reasonably for after going 62 miles and was feeling good that I was going to continue and finish. And they yelled out my number. Like, I think it was 65. Hey, 65, like, where the heck are you going? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, you missed the cutoff. And I'm like, no way. Because we thought we had time. We were kind of doing the math. Yep hey, if we stay on this pace, we'll be all right. Well, the cutoff times weren't a secret. They were in the race packet. And I just, you know, again, my responsibility as the runner to know what those were, I didn't. And so again, I wasn't prepared to not only from a physical standpoint, but from the mental or just a preparation piece of it of, of leading into that. So that was one. And then the second one, the burning river in July. So about a month and a half later, like, God, i right, I'm gonna go do this thing. Like, I'm committed, I'm gonna hit this, I'm gonna finish it. Went out by myself. Most people have a team of people that will support them. The first one I had four people there that kind of helped me at the checkpoints and helped me along the way as pacers. This one I went by myself and I made it about 75.6 miles this time. So I improved. But I just kind of got to the point where I was moving so slow that I just couldn't keep was, There was no way I was going to finish again, because there's, there's cutoff times and you got to stay at a certain pace to keep going. And So, and then the biggest one for me, like what I really learned from that one, there's so many go listen to the book or read it. But when your emotions are high, like they were at that moment when I decided that, Hey, you know, I can't go anymore. I'm done for the day. There's a lot that goes into those decisions and there's a lot of conversations you have with yourself and your head around that. And when your emotions are high. The clarity is low and so just don't make decisions in those moments meaning like in that moment it was like why am I doing this what am I doing this for like 75 miles is awesome like hey it's not a hundred but it's way more than anyone else like you don't need to keep doing this and that's the conversations I was having with myself because you know again clarity was low I was just thinking about the pain thinking about not having to do this again going through you know leaving traveling all everything that's around that and so I, I knew not to make a decision on whether I would attempt this again and to give myself a little time so that the emotions can kind of settle down a little bit and I can be a little bit more clear about what it is that I really, truly wanted, which was I was sick of being a person in my life where I would say I was going to go do something, maybe go three quarters of the way. It's kind of like playing football. You don't take it to the one yard line and then take a knee. You put it in the end zone. And so I know the power of if you are your word and you stick to the things that you're committed to, that overflows to everything you do and it becomes very powerful. And when people start to see you and know you as that person that, hey, if Nate says he's going to go do something, they just know before it happens that it's going to happen. It's really, really powerful. And I was kind of done being the guy that was said he was going to do something and then not following through. And so, yeah. So on the third attempt, Pony Express 100 in Utah in October of that year, so about all over the time span of about seven months. I did. I finished. I completed 100 miles, and so all of that culminated into the book.
0: Wow, that's a great journey. Listeners know that I run. I've talked about it on the podcast. A time of reflection. It's a great way for me personally to get exercise. I feel at one when I'm running. But I've never attempted 100 miles. Anything close to it. What what I have read about when people do compete at this level is that that athletes that are a little older. I want to say. Over 35 years old, maybe 40, even into their mid 40s, can compete and win and beat athletes that are 18, 19, 20, 24 in the peak and prime of their physical life. I would be interested to hear your thoughts on why that is. I mean, if we were going to go out and do the 100 meter sprint, a 45 year old person is not going to win. We know that. But when it comes to 100 miles, they just might. So, why? What's going on there?
1: I think there's a lot of factors in that, but I think you're right. Like, I've heard many very competitive elite ultra runners talk about kind of being in your prime in those mid to late 30s, even into mid 40s of like you kind of at their peak. And I think because it is 100 miles, the best of the best are they're cruising and they're going like incredibly fast over a long period of time. But just from a physiological standpoint, I mean, you're not like sprinting for 100 miles, right? You're just not. And so I think. Just the ability level that's required allows you to be able to perform at a high level for an older age period. But I think there's, you know, when we come back to the mindset piece of things, I think that's huge. So many 18, 20 to even early 30s, depending on their experiences, they maybe haven't developed that mindset yet because they haven't had a lot of time on this earth to have those experiences and to go through some failures and to learn how to persevere just had my 44th birthday. You know, I've made some poor choices and decisions. I've had some hard things happen to me. And luckily I've been able to lean on those and to learn from them and to help me when similar situations arise. And when you're in a hundred mile rice, like there's a lot of conversations going on with yourself. There's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of points where it hurts. And you just, you know, one way to stop that would be to just like ease up or to quit. And somebody that's seasoned, I guess we'll say, Like they've been there before and they know that, hey, I just need to push into this and keep going. Now, having said that, there's in the ultra world too, there are a number of younger folks that are doing really well. But there's also, like you said, there's a number of people my age that are also continuing to crush it and maybe even having some of the best times they've ever had.
0: When you think about the 100 mile mindset as a analogy to other obstacles in our life, I think... You're absolutely right. The mindset to get to the 100 miles is the most important part. The physical part is not as important as the mindset part. You know, And that's going to be the case in the other challenges we face in life. And if you can get the mindset right for that challenge, it can help you with other challenges. And I think how we talk to ourselves, how we overcome negative thoughts, negative emotions during times of stress like that is really, really important someone with the more experience and with that ability to control that mindset i think has an advantage and in the ultra world you can see that they might be in a disadvantage physically but the mindset advantage can overcome talk a little bit about the work you do with executives and leaders as far as building leadership skills and especially using kind of physical challenges to help people build up resilience
1: I have a program called Championship Leadership 24-Hour, which is just a 24-hour physical experience. I have a military background. I really do want to impact and help other executives, business owners, entrepreneurs to become better leaders, not just in their business, but in all aspects of their life. And I know you get the podcast, The Good Life that we're talking about right now. And, and it's all about that, right? It's like, I don't just want to crush it in business or I don't want to just crush it in one area of life. I want to have a great life, a, a life that I'm proud of in all areas. And so in order to do that, first, you got to lead yourself in a podcast called Championship Leadership and what's required to become a championship leader. And when I think my strongest skill sets is in face-to-face experiences like this, where, you know, through the physical piece you're able to learn so many lessons. Again, that's how that book came about. It's such a great environment to be physically maxed out, to have stresses of the physical experience, of lack of sleep, of lack of focus and clarity, because all of those things happen in real life in different ways, but we can kind of create that in the physical piece through the physical evolutions to wear them down and then see how they lead in those moments, right? Because that's what life is all about. It's about how do you lead when you're in adversity, it's easy to lead when everything's going well. I talk about like Winston Churchill in World War II. I mean, because of that time that, that allowed him to step up as the leader that he was born to be, had there not ever been a World War II, those skill sets may not have ever came to be known because he was born to lead in those moments. And so I love the physical peace and experiences and how that can help to bring out the best in others and help them to push them to become championship leaders.
0: You have a very interesting background and you have a lot of success as a real estate investor. You've written about that as well. Talk a little bit about your career.
1: I still do invest in real estate and have some properties across the country, I'll say, because I do have properties in multiple states. And I'll continue to do that and I'll continue to build that. And the thing that I love about real estate is the fact that you can have it, you can build that. And it really can be something that's on the side if it doesn't require a lot of time and energy, if it's structured the right way, right? So you have other people to help manage it and take care of it and you get into the right investments. So that's always kind of been there. At the same time, I had an insurance brokerage, I owned a CrossFit gym, and I was just never really, I wouldn't wake up in the morning and be like lit on fire to go build an insurance brokerage. But it did afford me the opportunity to learn a lot of things and to have a lot of experiences. I look back and now it all makes sense to me, right? Sometimes you go through certain experiences and it doesn't necessarily make sense why you might be doing something at a certain point in time. And then you look back and you're like, oh, now it makes sense. Like I always gravitated towards being a leader. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, again, to lead myself and to lead the lifestyle that I really want for myself. And so, in a way, I guess I look back on those as just, Time spent or dues that I had to pay to do what I do today is the best way to explain it.
0: I like how you describe some of the benefits of real estate investing and giving you time. And I think time is something that we seriously undervalue. It's one of the reasons why, if you do financial investing, you know, just investing in say the S and P five hundred. If you do invest in the S and P five hundred, you're going to get the market return. You can free yourself up from chasing every other stock out there and trying to get a little bit more advantage over other investors to get that alpha, which is that return above the market. And it can take a lot of time. It's completely reasonable to take a step back and say, well, what do I want to do to get a return that's good enough to afford me to do what I really want to do and light up my passion? And I think that's a great frame to look at that decision. I can see how you applied it and ended up where you did today. Talk a little bit about your podcast and this idea of championship leaders. What are you trying to achieve in the podcast, and what is a championship leader?
1: Championship leadership, and the podcast just came as yes, a way to reach other people. And a big part of who I want to be is to impact as many people as I can. And the podcast is a great way to do that. But also more selfishly, like I love bringing people in and just having conversations and connecting. And so selfishly, like. It's just a great way for me to connect with people like yourself and many other people that I've had on the show that I never would have connected with had it not been because of the podcast. And championship leadership, you know, the name, it was actually a good friend of mine, Joe Williams, who kind of threw that name out there. And at first, I wasn't sure about it. Championship leadership, ship, ship, kind of. I love it now, of course, and it is different and unique. And, you know, I think championship leadership is, again, it's number one, you got to lead yourself first before you can lead anyone else. And just having the courage to live the life that you want and to go and actually make a difference, to not focus on yourself, but to focus on others. I think that's the ultimate.
0: I always think great leadership shines through in times of adversity, when a leader's called to rise above. We've had Andrew Roberts on the podcast recently to talk about Winston Churchill, and how he rose to the occasion during World War II. We've also had Elizabeth Samet talk about Ulysses S. Grant and how he was able to remain calm under pressure during the Civil War, and he never blamed others when things didn't go his way. How do you define great leadership?
1: Great leaders, they take 100% responsibility when times are tough or when the losses are coming and they deflect and give 100% of the accolades in the good times and the wins, right? They celebrate the team and the individuals that help to get those wins. And when things, you know, kind of like Jocko willing, if you're familiar with him, extreme ownership, I think that's another way of saying extreme ownership is when things don't go the right way, even if it wasn't directly your fault, like as the leader, you are 100% responsible for everything that happens under your command, if you want to say. And so it's being willing to be really selfless and There's a lot of leaders out there that aren't. They do want the accolades, and it's very clear who those leaders are, and it's very clear the ones that are selfless, putting their self aside for the benefit of the team. That, to me, is the championship leaders.
0: That piece about accountability and taking ownership of when things aren't going well or when decisions were made and the outcome didn't work out the way you had hoped, I think that's one of the more difficult and challenging pieces of leadership and it has been for me personally. It's not fun to be associated with something that's not working out, to feel responsible for failures in some way in an organization or as a leader leading a team. Do you have any advice? What do you tell people? How do you help people face up to that, deal with that in a way that lives up to their values of being a championship leader?
1: It's tough. It sucks when things aren't going right and you're not on the path of the trajectory that you would like to be, right? But it's also, you know, it is a part of life. And I would just say, you know, championship leadership would be, it's okay to go through those times and those experiences. Like I would almost again say that you're required to have to go through some of those times and those experiences. But really, again, it's in those moments where the championship leaders are made or built. It's how you are deciding to respond and react in those moments. I can give you a personal experience. When I was getting deployed to Kuwait, I was a platoon leader. I got attached to a unit that was not the unit I was a part of. I was in the Wisconsin Army National Guard. And so especially National Guard units get deployed. A lot of times they have a certain amount of slots, but they might not have all of them filled. And so I was attached to this unit. The first day I met everyone was the first day of deployment. So very interesting experience to come into as like, hey, I'm the leader, but I don't know any of you guys and you got to follow me, right? So through that, we went through three months of kind of train up, pre-deployment training in Gulfport, Mississippi, or Camp Shelby, just outside of Hattiesburg. And there was an evolution or an exercise that we did that we trained up for, and it was kind of a simulation of what we'd be doing in Kuwait. And of course, they were simulating probably the worst case scenarios that could happen, right? And to see how you would respond. And it didn't go well and I had to eat a ton of crow. And, and of course that was a bad reflection on me as a platoon leader. And so really to define a defining moment, it's one that where, all right, how are you going to respond? And for me in that moment, it was just to gather everyone around and to own it and to take responsibility for that. But also in that moment to be like, hey, this will never happen again. We're gonna learn from this. We're gonna move forward. We will be prepared and you can count on me to know that we will not repeat this ever again." And it was hard to have that conversation and to own that to this group of men that were looking to me as like, well, man, this is our leader. We, just, we were doing what we trained. We weren't prepared that that's on him. And to see, many of them were probably waiting to see how I was going to respond. I could have just pretended it didn't happen and not said anything. And the experience that I had and The results that we had in our deployment moving forward from that would not have been the same had I not had that conversation and owned up to that and took in that responsibility and had that accountability for myself. As hard as it really was in that moment to stand in front of those guys, 42 men, that I'd really just gotten to know and to own it in that situation.
0: That's a powerful story. You turned it into a learning experience and you used it as a kind of a foundation to build on to say this isn't going to happen again. I've learned from this. I'm going to move on. And if you can make that turn, I think it gives you a little momentum to build on something positive out of those moments, which can be really challenging. And you mentioned Winston Churchill earlier. I had Andrew Roberts on the podcast a few episodes ago. He wrote a biography of Churchill called Walking with Destiny. But one of the things that Roberts talked about In learning about Churchill, was the many, many mistakes that Churchill made and how he learned from each one and and turned each setback into something positive. And I think that's something that's helped me in moments like that to know that it's part of life. Like you said, it's part of the human experience that no leader becomes a great leader without dealing with setbacks and learning how to deal with setbacks because you just wouldn't get to where you are. You wouldn't be a great leader without figuring that one out. And this is just my fate and my path to figure it out. So taking it head on, that's a really impactful story. Well, this has just been a wonderful conversation and tell my listeners where people can learn more about you and the work that you do and some of these 100 mile challenges.
1: The best place for everything is really just to go to my website, natebailey.org. You can find all my social media contacts there. You can find out how to get access to my book, to our 24-hour experience. I also have a free championship leadership Facebook group for entrepreneurs and business owners. just a place for us to come together and do some trainings and have some expert interviews and things like that. So, yeah, natebailey.org is the best spot.
0: Great. Well, Nate, thanks for being on The Good Life. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TIP.